Hey there, my name is Hugo Prince. I'm the host of the Road to the IQ, the podcast of Entrepreneur Aguirre. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to let you know that the podcast Road to the IQ is not available in all the other platforms. iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please, please rate the podcast on iTunes. Leave a comment. Let me know if it's good. Let's start the show. Today podcast is in English and today is only the audio version of the podcast and today I'm glad to have on the show a podcaster like me but really an ex more than she has more experience than me so she is really a podcaster like I say a lot of time that I'm a podcaster but I'm more like a content creator but today's guest is Lisa Capri She's the host of the Rest of Frequency podcast. She's a, an entrepreneur. She has been doing this for 15 years, and I have the pleasure to have her on the show. Hi, Lisa. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. I'm so, so excited to be chatting with you, Hugo. And congrats on your podcast as well. Thank you very much. So today we're going to talk about what you love the most, of two things that you love the most, podcasting and entrepreneurship. So you got it. <laughs> yeah. But I just want to know so your name is Lisa Capri. Are you like Italian? Yes. So both my parents are of Italian origin. Yeah. Uh, my mother came to Canada when she was a young girl, and my father was one of the youngest of his siblings. Okay. So his family also came over on the boat in the big wave of Italian immigration in the late 50s, early 60s. Okay. So I guess I consider myself first generation, but I don't know, most people would say it's more second generation since I grew up all my life in Quebec and uh, partially in Ontario. So um, I've, I've straddled two provinces so far in my lifetime. So you, do you live like in a little Italian Montreal or with mostly um, any, any other place? Like uh, Well, interestingly enough, I actually grew up on the south shore of Montreal, uh, which, which was interesting growing up because in my entire elementary and high school, there was like maybe one other Italian kid in the whole school because it was a very Anglophone, Francophone community. So uh, it was really awkward. No one could pronounce my name. It was just like, you know, nobody understood my lunches and the foods. <laughs> it was just kind of awkward. I think I was in the sixth grade before I heard another Italian name. A new girl moved to town. It was like, yes, we can be best friends now because you just happen to be Italian. And you know what that old stereotype about how old, all Italians know each other. You know what? It's kind of true because when that family moved into our town, my parents and her parents became good friends. So yeah, um, after like, that. Italians yeah. have like this uh, family. Um, I mean, very that, much. Yeah. yeah, very much so. But I will say that my parents were very traditional for some things, but not for others. I have a very English sounding name. Mm -hmm. And so do my sister and brother. I'm the eldest of three. Okay. And we all have very English names. Um, and you'd be surprised. We didn't actually grow up speaking Italian in our household. I had to learn Italian as an adult. I took courses in university because I felt like, hey, I should know this stuff. Uh, my parents were a little progressive when it okay. came to that. They They felt that because they naturally started speaking English to each other yeah. when they met um, and their high school sweethearts. So that's kind of cute. Okay. Um, and, and back in their generation, Italian was for the old people. You didn't want to speak Italian with your friends because it wasn't cool. Whereas nowadays it's completely the opposite and everyone wants to have another language. Okay. Um, but so we grew up uh, speaking primarily English. And then of course I learned French in school, uh, but I learned to speak Italian um, as an adult and an my adult. Italian is not great, but it's, it's not terrible either. <laughs> did you study Italian at university? That's right. Or? I did. Mm -hmm. I did because I wanted to. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll admit it was not an easy course for me because I had no basis. You would have thought I did. 
And as a funny side story, my teachers would never believe me that I, that I was truly a beginner. And I would get a hard time from a lot of my teachers. They would think that I was faking or that I was in there for an easy grade. And it just yeah. wasn't true. I just never learned Italian as a kid. Okay, because the parents wanted to speak in English at home. That's why. That's right. Yeah, my mom really wanted us to be fully integrated at school, I guess. <laughs> yes. So when you, you went to university, Concordia University, you did a bachelor degree on, on journalism and communications. So yes. That was because you wanted to be like a journalist or mostly because you like communications? Yes, well... Well, I'm, I'm a talker, first and foremost. I think that's uh, not a big secret. But yeah. um, to be honest, I was really fascinated and in love with the world of broadcast journalism. So that's radio and TV, as well as writing. Um, I've yeah. always loved to write and I've continued to publish throughout the years in different magazines and in different uh, mediums. But at the time, because social media didn't exist, so yeah. yes, this is dating me a that's little bit, but when I was in university, there was no such thing as Facebook social media did not exist. YouTube did not exist. None of these things existed at the time when I was studying at Concordia. So um, at the time, the biggest way to be in entertainment or in media was through traditional radio or TV. So I went through that entire bachelor's degree at Concordia and I came away with that knowing that I had a love for radio and I had a love for writing. So that's how I started my career was, you know, diving a bit into radio and primarily doing a lot of writing But then an interesting twist happened, yeah. and uh, I had this inner tug, this inner calling, if you will, yeah. that I knew I loved education and I loved teaching. And given that I felt that I was a natural uh, performer and speaker, I thought, well, you know, to be a really good teacher, you have to be entertaining. Yeah. And so I decided that I wanted to also pursue a career in education. So then I followed up my first degree with a second bachelor's in education and I spent the next uh, 15 or 16 years working in education as a school teacher as well as an educational entrepreneur. I owned an educational company for over 10 years. Did you teach Italian? No, <laughs> no I did not. Yeah. I taught uh, pretty much all elementary subjects and yeah. at the high school level I spent five years teaching high school English to all grades and I absolutely loved it. Well, yeah, that, that was a good time. So you love to teach to kids and uh, to people, entrepreneurs. And so, yes. well, you were a teacher for like a couple of years. But what happened? What made you decide to, because I see, I went to see your LinkedIn profile. What made you decide to start entrepreneurship? Because you say that's one of your passions. What happened? Yes. So actually, these things happened simultaneously. So while I was a high school school teacher. So I had yeah. a contract uh, for local school board where I was living at the time. And during the time that I was teaching, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit in bugs. So I was running a full-time job teaching at the school. And then in the evenings, I was teaching adult education, but I was doing it under my own company. So I had this miniature educational company where I was teaching adult education, primarily second language. Yeah. So a lot of newcomer entrepreneurs to Canada, immigrants, people, people who needed to learn to speak English either for business or for business communications, yeah. I was teaching them under my own company. And then I thought, well, you know, I have all of this training. I could be doing education to kids as well. And I love working with kids. So why don't I open up services as well to kids? So, so at the same language, like English to immigrants. I was teaching at that time, English as a second language to adults, okay. but I was teaching English as a first language at the high school. Yes. So then I thought, well, I could make something bigger of this, but ever the entrepreneur that I was at the time, I was working the full-time job in the school. I was teaching adults at night. And I also had my first online business at the time, which most people don't know about. So your listeners might be one of the first to hear this unless they follow me on my podcast. My first online business was creating handmade jewelry and selling them on an online store. Now this was, you have to imagine in the late 90s, okay? So the, the web was not, not like it was now. And if you, need, if you were to have an online shop, you either needed to know coding in HTML yourself or yeah. you needed to get someone to help you. And so I don't know how I did it, but that's what I did. So then it evolved from there. I got married and I moved way out of town from where I was living. So I had to leave my position at the high yeah. school. Okay. And so that was the fork in the road. That was the decision that I had to make. Do I continue on in education yeah. uh, formally within 
Quebec institutions here yes. and change school boards and start from zero because this is what happens to teachers in our province. When you change boards, you, you lose all of your tenure and your seniority and you go back to zero. So the option was do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You move on to Ontario, if that's right. No, I was still in Quebec at this time. I just moved way out of town. I moved, uh, you know, about an hour away from where I was living on the South Shore. I moved more east of Montreal, where my husband was from. Uh, there was an Italian community there. So we moved there for a few years. And <laughs> during that time, that's what I had to make that decision. So then my small business of teaching adults and tutoring kids in the yeah. evenings away from my day job became a full-fledged, full-service learning center, which I had in Laval for a period of over 10 years. So okay. I founded a, a learning center. Okay. And it just grew really exponentially in a short period of time. And that is where I feel like I got a lot of entrepreneurial experience and business experience in a short period of time because things yeah. were moving really quickly. I had to manage budgets. I had to manage... Um, one or two investors. I had to manage a team of, well, at, at first we started with a team of six, but it quickly grew to a team of 50. Wow. So we had a staff of 50. It was a large undertaking. We expanded businesses. We expanded across the territory of Laval. We had yeah. school boards that um, were collaborators and were clients. So it grew really, really quickly and it was wonderful. And I'm very proud of yeah. what we achieved. However, if you're wondering how I got to where I am now, another fork in the road happened. And before we back yes. when I to get back, so you you quit your job as a teacher. You went yes, back. Yes, I did. You, you didn't. You were still teaching, but in another way, just on your yes. Business. But I believe that Italians normally they're mostly entrepreneurs, so because they they own a lot of restaurants, they have that kind of spirit. <laughs> so when yes. you to talk to your parents, you say, "Mom, Dad." I'm quitting my job as a teacher and I want to become an entrepreneur. What was the reaction? Oh, good question. Nobody's ever asked me this, Hugo. <laughs> I love that you've asked this. Um, I think my parents were sort of concerned, yes. but at the same time, I, they knew their eldest daughter, who is me. They knew that I've always been very independent. Um, one of the things that I did early on, which is very non-traditional, is I moved out of my parents' home quite young. I was in my early 20s. And typically in Italian families, you don't do this unless you're getting married. But <laughs> you don't do it unless you're getting married. Um, but I did because I needed the independence. I had younger siblings. I wanted to just be independent with my life. So I was paying my own rent. I was paying yeah. for my own car, paying for my own things. Um, I had no financial help necessarily in any way, shape, or form other than working a bunch of jobs at once and getting a lot of experience and paying my own bills. Um, so I think they knew at that time um, that, okay, you did your one degree and now you're not going to use that degree and you're going to go do something else. Yeah. Um, so originally when I made the switch from journalism to education, they were already questioning it, but they thought, well, you know what you want and you've always gone after it. So great. But then when I wanted to make the switch from a, let's call it a secure salary at a yeah. school board to then going to entrepreneurship, I think they were concerned, but they realized it was really just an extension of what I was good at, and that was teaching, and that was sharing knowledge. And so um, I think that me being the eldest daughter had a lot to do with it because I had more time than my siblings at that point to prove myself. So yeah. they were concerned, but I think they know, they know my character, and I was willing to do whatever it took to make that work. So um, your, family, your family, your parents were okay with that, but... You were married at that time, no? At that time when you started your business, you were... I was already married, too. I was already married. So I'd already been out of the home for several years. <laughs> so as a woman entrepreneur, because uh, I know some uh, younger entrepreneurs, women, is your husband an entrepreneur, too? Or he's mostly, he has a job? Or, uh, he... He, at the time, was also an entrepreneur, okay. so he had um, several family-run businesses also yeah. in the educational field, yeah. so it wasn't a big stretch, so we understood each other quite well, you know, what it was like to, to be an entrepreneur, so he had started out, you know, he had his student jobs, but uh, primarily in their family, they had family-run businesses, so it was okay. not foreign to them. So he understood that when you decide to become an entrepreneur, because I believe there's a lot of women entrepreneurs, they have to, if, especially if they're married, they have to talk with the husband, like, I want to make the jump, I want to do to become an entrepreneur, and maybe their husband has a job, so what would you say to those girls and women, they say, look, how, how, what would you say to them, like, 
to to really make the jump into what 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 can they need to say to the husband? Well, I think first and foremost, there has to be a certain level of trust and good communication skills. And one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received, yeah. whenever you're trying to, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a family member, whether it's a business partner, anytime you want to introduce something new into your, your circle of influence, yes. one of the things you always have to think about is where is the benefit as a whole? So you also have to show that individual what's in it for them. So if it's a female entrepreneur who has to convince their spouse, listen, we might have to have some sacrifices at the beginning because I want to leave my secure job. You want to be able to show also what's in it for the other person. So for example, if the female entrepreneur says to her husband, well, you know how you always want to take those trips. Now we can take more trips or I can be home more, or Mm -hmm. I can run this business online. If it's an online or digital business and I can be home more if we want to start a family. So there's always those common grounds. You have to go back to those common grounds of what you both want in your relationship as a couple and figure out how the entrepreneurship life answers those needs. And, and that's, where I feel that a lot of people are afraid to have that conversation, but then they realize that the entrepreneurship life can allow them to do some of those things that they say that they want. And if you do it right, you can do some of those things earlier than you ever thought possible. Yeah. Well, you have to sacrifice, sacrifice the short term for the long term, even uh, that because also the, the guy, the the man will say like, okay, my, my, my wife is going to make more money than me. And then they start thinking about (laughs) it, you know, so it it really needs to be discussed and and you really need to be, you know, you have to sit down together and talk about it and what's the plan and what would happen. That's what I believe. Discussion, conversation is good for that kind of stuff. And you know what they say, happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Just going (laughs) to throw that out there. Yes. So, so well, as as far as entrepreneurship, everyone understood in your family, in your entourage. So then you were talking about something else happened that make you um, make you doing what you're doing right now. What was it? Yeah. So it came at a time where the educational business that I owned was uh, up and running. It had been going for a few years, and we continued to expand every year. Yeah. And though I would hire more people to kind of leverage the power of, of the team, my son at that time was about to enter the school system himself. And I had to think long and hard about the kind of family life that I wanted to have. Yes. And I had always envisioned myself being home after school for my son, you know, and I, and I, and I never envisioned him having to spend long hours in the school in daycare. And so Part of the bittersweet decision that I had to sell that business was for me to dive even deeper into entrepreneurship, but in the online space so that I could work from home, that I could work less, but do more and be able to be a little bit more present for my family. And that was a big push for me to get out of what we might call the corporate world, if you will, um, in those terms, although it was entrepreneurship, it was, you know, corporate structured and to move into being a solopreneur primarily. And that was a new thing for me because I've always built teams around things that I've done or I've managed other people's teams in other capacities. So now it was reinventing myself as a mom, but reinventing myself as a solopreneur. And that is when the pull to go back to my first loves of radio and print journalism and broadcast journalism started coming at me. And I said, well, I have to find a way to be able to do things that I love, earn revenue for my household, be an entrepreneur or solopreneur, but doing the skills that I already have. And so then I proceeded to do a lot of freelance work in the print media space, in the publishing space. I was being published in magazines. I was editing for magazines. And I was working a lot in the video production world because part of my original degree in Concordia was a lot to do with film editing and film production. Okay. And so I was freelancing a lot of that stuff and working in the digital online space. When was that? And, what time? What year? Uh, that would have been from about 2016 to, I want to say, very early 2018. So okay. I did that for about two years. Okay. But, but during that time... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, but it seems to me that you, you place a lot of value to your family. Does that mean that mm-hmm. your origins from Italians? Because you, you decide, I want to stay at home. I want to see my kids. So that's why you jump in the online world. It's because, yeah. yeah. That's because of your like, Italian uh, community in that. 
that that I would say plays a giant role in it. But if I'm being entirely honest, I was also extremely fascinated by online entrepreneurship because in the past I'd always worked in physical locations. Like the business that I had, even the educational business had a physical location with physical teams that had to come in and they had to go to physical locations. And so, you know, in an entrepreneurial world, we call that a brick and mortar type business. So I've always worked within brick and mortar type businesses and business structures. And I became extremely fascinated as we're moving, you know, into 2016 about online entrepreneurship and online marketing. And I started getting involved in some online marketing ventures. And so I had a couple of different revenue streams going at once. I mentioned a few of them, like the video editing and working in digital marketing for for private clients that I would take on. I was working in the digital space when it came to magazine production and editing and publishing. So I was starting to realize the potential of online businesses versus physical locations and also the the budgetary um, facets around that as well and how how you can literally make the same salary from your home office as you could having to commute to an office two hours a day. And it just became a world that I wanted to explore more and more. But how did you manage? Because especially you have kids at home. So you like mostly you work in the days, you know, you didn't have nobody. Yes. That's right. And and the way that I structure a lot of my work is that because my son is of school age, um, I can only generally work during the hours that he's in school. So that forces me to work part time, um, but not earn a part time salary. See, that's the trick is where you want to work part time, but replace what your full time salary was. And so that's sort of the ever growing interest that I have with online entrepreneurship. And to add fuel to the fire, part of the work that I was doing as a freelancer and part of the work that I still continue to do is is voiceover work. So I do a lot of voiceover work. Um, And so because of that, I need a very quiet environment. So I had to build out a studio here in my home, like, you know, one of those those, (laughs) studios that you see. Yeah. For those that can see, Lisa has her own studio and a mic. And really, it's, it's really nice. I can't see it, but sorry for those that can't see it. <laughs> actually, this is this is not the studio, Hugo. This is outside the studio. I actually have a, one of those booths. You know, I had to build out one of those booths for professional oh, wow. sound work. At so, home. yes, at home. And that's where I record my own podcast as well uh, in order to get the best quality audio that I can get. Um, I work in a sound-treated booth. Uh, there are no cameras in there, so that's why I'm outside today for you (laughs) but did you invest a lot of money to to make that is that kind of expensive or you like you decide well you know what it's it's relative to what somebody might consider a lot of money but certainly there was an investment uh, but I did spend a lot of time researching the best possible options and I primarily did the work myself I had a little bit of help uh, from uh, from you know uh, somebody in the family who does a little bit of construction work but I did most of it myself so um, not a huge endeavor time-wise, but it's paid, it's paid off uh, handsomely, I would say. Yes. So let's, let's go uh, more deep in, in uh, broadcasting and voice because I, I can see it and I said at the beginning, you're the host of Race Your Frequency podcast. So with, with all your passion about broadcasting, communication, why did you decide to start your own podcast? You say, okay, this is, this is it, what I want to do. Uh, maybe I cannot do radio, but I can start my own podcast at home because you, you did at the studio. So what was yes. what pushed you to make a podcast? So there are actually a couple of reasons. And, and I think that a lot of your listeners who are thinking about starting a podcast might resonate with some or all of these. And the first one was, again, no surprise, I love to talk. (laughs) So I love to talk. I learn. I love to learn. I love to interview. And above all, the teacher in me loves to share knowledge. So if I learn something, I want to share it with others. Um, But of course, I can't be an expert in everything. So that's why I love bringing on the experts on my show, as you do as well, for whatever topics you want to discuss. And so that was just a natural fit for me, uh, above and beyond publishing, you know, in print media was having audio be sort of the main medium to get my message and my content out. And so with that, I knew that through podcasting, I could reach a wider audience globally just because of the global reach of podcasts these days. And then I really wanted to, as I was reinventing myself, as you heard from that story, as a solopreneur, as opposed to an entrepreneur or a business owner with employees, I wanted to develop a network of entrepreneurs that were also willing to share their wisdom and knowledge 
so that I could learn, but also that I, again, I could share that knowledge with my listeners. And what, what happens sometimes when you do that is that you automatically grow your, your influence, you grow your audience by doing that. And so that was the hope was that I would be able to connect with like-minded mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that could teach me something that I could teach them something. And so that it was really uh, mutually beneficial to hang out and talk on the podcast every mm-hmm. week. And then finally, what was always behind there somewhere, although it wasn't as developed in the early days, was the interest that I had in indirectly and then eventually directly impacting my various businesses through a variety of monetization models. So podcast monetization, which we may or may not have time to talk about today, but it is a really interesting facet um, of of podcasting is the monetization uh, models. Yes. So... You still, you start, when you start your podcast, Rest Your Frequency, when, uh, when was it? 2000? It was, uh, well, funny story. I wanted to start it in 2016 and your readers or rather your listeners can't see this right now, but I have it tattooed on my arm, Raise Your Frequency in 2016. I said, I am going to launch a podcast called Raise Your Frequency. Okay. But then the, the, you know, wheel of life kind of comes at you and you have all of these things going on. And it wasn't until 2018 that I fully gave myself permission and fully committed to launching the show. So I created a bit of a buzz about the show in late uh, 2017, knowing that I was going to launch it at the top of 2018. And I launched very, very early in 2018. So almost two years now. Okay. Almost two years. So, but at that time you still had your online business that was running too. Yes. Yeah. So when you start your podcast, what, what are the benefits after almost two years? What are the benefits that podcast brought to your business? Because oh, I love online this. Business. Yes, I love yeah. this. So first and foremost, globally, as a, as a global thing, it's knowledge and growth. Okay, yes. so as an individual and as a person, particularly if you're an entrepreneur, you need a lot of personal development and growth. And because we can't all be experts at everything required to grow and scale a business, I thought what better way than to learn from others. So every week I get to hang out with really cool entrepreneurs who have expertise and wisdom to share. So it's mutually beneficial. It's beneficial for them for exposure. It's beneficial for me for learning and the fact that I get to share that with my audience. But what I really see as the benefits of having your own podcast as an entrepreneur or what I call the five truths about okay. podcasting. Right. And so I have these five keywords that I what teach I about. Know. So if you'd like, I can get into them. So the first okay. one, I'll list them and then I'll talk a bit about them. The okay. first one is accessibility. Yes. The second one is intimacy. And I'll explain that word in a second because it sounds funny. The third one is growth. Yes. The fourth one is credibility. Yeah. And the fifth one is maximization of network. Now yes. you can kind of guess what some of these mean. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on each one of those. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So accessibility. It's no secret these days that podcasting is becoming an ever popular medium as a marketing tool, as a business and a brand growth tool. Now, in terms of accessibility, there currently is no other medium that is as accessible as audio content. Sure, there's YouTube. Sure, there's social media. Sure, there are blogs and all of those things are great and they have their place, but there's a problem. They require somebody to be looking at a screen. Whereas audio is the most accessible because generally it's free, right? So if we're talking about the average podcast, it's free content. You don't have to pay to listen to a podcast. So there's the monetary thing out of the way for the average listener. And there's the accessibility. People are listening to podcasts on the go now more than ever while they're walking the dog, while they're doing the dishes, while they're commuting to work. That is a big one. In fact, if we look at the statistics, uh, recent statistics that came out on listening to podcasting on the go since 2014, there has been a 157% increase in listening to podcasts on the go from smartphones, 157%. And that's just US statistics. So, you know, we know that podcasts are global. Yeah. So in terms of accessibility, you cannot get more accessible than that. And when we look at number two, which is intimacy, I know it's a funny word and everyone kind of giggles when I say it. So if you're, if you're thinking about what that means, get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> what I'm saying is intimacy is really about creating that relationship with your ideal listener or client if yeah. you are a business owner. 
and you cannot get closer to your client instead of being with them necessarily you cannot always be with your clients face to face because you may have clients all over the world but you can't get closer to them than being literally in their ears yeah. and creating that relationship with them week after week after week and that's where you create real long-standing relationships and that's where that intimacy piece comes in you speed up that no like and trust factor that we talk about all the time yes. you, in yeah, the marketing saying. world yeah absolutely yeah. i have people that i'll meet in person at a at some sort of networking event and i'll be like oh my god i've listened to every single one of your podcasts i feel like i know you yeah. because they've spent so much time with me even though we've never physically met and mm -hmm. so that's where you can create that intimacy and then the third truth is growth. And we touched upon it a little bit, but there are multiple ways that you as an entrepreneur in your business can grow through having your own podcast. Uh, Hugo, you talked about this on a recent LinkedIn post, how yeah. it's allowed you to meet new people. It's allowed you to create a larger pool of business contacts. Sometimes people, and that brings me to credibility, which is the next one. Yeah. Sometimes people are just more willing to talk to you if they can see that you are serious, that you have your own show, that you put out regular content, yeah. that you're someone who's going to stick around for a while. Yeah, and I will tell you that it's not that it's magic that just because you have your own podcast, you're automatically going to be taken more seriously. But the truth of the matter is, if you are regularly putting out quality content that is yeah. valuable for your audience and somebody that you are trying to connect with also has a similar interest in that audience and they can see that you treat your audience well and that you put yeah. out consistent content, you are more credible in their eyes. And so credibility and influence as an entrepreneur through your own podcast go hand in hand. Yes, and I will, and, add, so I will add that uh, when we, before I start my podcast, I, I, I wanted to do like a tech company. So, you know, tech company was trending in 2016. So I was going to meet investors, entrepreneurs, and I would say, can you look at my app? Can you take a look? Can, can, I, can we meet? Because I wanted money to, to do my, 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 my app. So they always say no. So when the, the day I start my own podcast and I, well, I stopped with the, the tech company, I was just doing a podcast. Those same people, they say yes to me. They, they ask, do you want to be on my podcast? They say yes. So because of that, now I have the phone numbers, I have the emails. If I, if I do another project, I can ask them directly. They know me already. So it's kind of funny, exactly. kind of funny when you, you, you don't have nothing, they say no. But when you have something that you can give it to them, like an audience, like a time to talk, they will say yes. So that's, that's why I think that podcast is a good way to really get in contact with those people, even the ones that say nothing. It is. Yeah. It really is. And that's a perfect example, Hugo, of where people will view credibility when it comes to somebody's business sense or somebody's um, you know, motivation behind things. Yeah. But I would build on that and I would even say that it relates back to the intimacy piece because if somebody said no to you a year ago, but then somehow they get wind of your podcast and they start listening to a couple of episodes of your podcast on their own time, by the way, by the time you may contact them again six months later, whether it's because you're looking for an investor or something of that sort, they may have already spent five or six hours with you without yeah. you even knowing it. And that's, and that's sort of the beauty of podcasting is you never know who's listening necessarily when and where, yeah. but your show is on 24 seven. Basically it's accessible 24 yes. seven when you sleep, when you're working, it's something that works for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year and on evergreen. So that brings me to number five, which is yeah. the maximization of your yes. network. Yes. And a benefit there is, uh, you know, I'm a talker. I love to hang out with people. I love to meet new people, but I'm one person. I can't necessarily be at every major conference. I can't be at every major networking event in my town or in my province, or if you have American listeners in your state and across the country, you're just one person. You can't be everywhere all the time. And even when you are at a big event, those events are also limited either to the capacity of the venue or the type of people that are there. They have a certain fixed interest. Whereas with a podcast and your own individual podcast episodes living on evergreen, yeah. basically you are everywhere all the time, globally. I receive my stats that come from my podcast and I'm always surprised when I look at these stats and my podcast is charting in countries that I'm not even targeting like Japan and Russia 
Australia, all over the world. And yes, it's an English language podcast. So generally the listeners there must speak some English in order to understand the content. But it is surprising that I can have this global reach 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I'm not necessarily targeting any one of those countries. But yet I can still have an audience and my content and my message reaches a global audience. So that's how you maximize your network is having a global audience. You were were talking about events too. Even if you go to an event, you cannot talk with everyone. You maybe talk with five, six persons that night. That's right. But if they know you have a podcast, look, um, you can listen to my podcast and they can get back to you. So you never... You never lo- lost a connection. Connection will be always de- be there, and like maybe tomorrow the people are gonna start doing, listen to your podcast, and they're gonna connect with you later on. So that's, that's a- correct. Yeah. So you are like you are a female podcaster, okay? And there's a lot of males podcasters, and that we, they're always coming out, they pop out, and then they leave. You know, <laughs> that's kind of. But as a female podcaster, <laughs> was it difficult for you to really? Um, to really get in the game of podcasting because I may, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of female podcasting. What is the big difference between you and a male podcaster? Well, I don't think there's any big difference between the approach. I think the big difference is just coming in the delivery. They come in the caliber of guests you have on your show. If you have a guest style show, the content of your show, what your global theme is. But I will say this, historically, as you pointed out, Uh, Even in broadcast radio and traditional radio, historically, generally, these speakers were male. Generally, the performers were male. And that started to change in the late 80s and the early 90s as broadcast radio sort of came up with the times and we started to see more female DJs. It's still primarily a male-dominated industry. But then podcasting comes up. And now, you know, if we're talking about even just the last, I want to say, six years to the point where our technology is even more accessible and you know home studio equipment is affordable and accessible and you don't need an entire engineering crew to produce a podcast it's awesome we can do all these things now it's just become it's opened up the door to a lot of people who would normally be able to produce podcasts and within there interestingly enough in the early days of podcasting we saw a similar trend where maybe 80 percent of the podcasters were female uh, rather were male and maybe only 20 percent were female In the latest stats that came out with regards to male to female podcast hosts, just recently at Podcast Movement 2019, Libsyn, who is one of those major podcast hosting platforms, announced that on their platform, they've been tracking this. And the trend now is that prior to 2019, there were less than 30% of shows on their platform that were hosted by females. Whereas now in 2019, that's already shot up to 45%. So it's very, very fast growing. And I think that, you know, female hosts are, are growing in numbers and are realizing that this is a great business tool. And I think part of that has to do with people recognizing the power of podcasting as a brand and an influence and growth tool. But I think it's also parallel to the trend of more female entrepreneurs launching businesses and then using podcasting as their main marketing tool. So I think it's coinciding with that trend as well. Would you say that a female voice is uh, is more like um, it's more attractive to uh, the people that listen to podcasts? Because if, if you look at the, all these uh, AI, it's like Siri, Google, they all have like a female voice. Would yeah. you say that something it, it plays? Does it plays on the? I'm going to have to say that I I don't think the trend in podcasting has to do with that because if you're going to launch a podcast, you're doing it because you want to do it for either your business, your brand, maybe you're a nonprofit and it's your main marketing tool. I don't think that the choice is necessarily, well, I'm a female, I'm going to put the voice out there. I think what ends up happening is that you end up relating to somebody's voice, yes, if, if you like the sound of the voice, that's great. But I really think it's the delivery and the content. So for example, your podcast, Hugo, might attract a certain type of audience that doesn't resonate with my delivery and vice versa. Okay. Even if you and I had a podcast that was almost identical, and maybe we talked about almost the same things, yeah. it, and 
forget of the fact that you do French language podcasts as well. But if we imagine that we had a very similar podcast, both in English, we both talked about very similar topics. We had similar caliber guests. Yeah. That doesn't mean that everyone who listens to my podcast is going to listen to yours and everyone who listens to yours is going to listen to mine. It depends on the delivery of the host and what they resonate with. Okay. And some people will prefer your voice and your delivery over mine and vice versa. And that's okay. That's the name of the game in business anyway. You can have a hundred coffee shops in your town, but you have a favorite one for a certain reason. And whatever that reason is, that's personal to you. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that uh, they worry about uh, if there's people that are going to listen to the show, but uh, it's a big game and it's open to everyone in the world. So for sure, there's at least people that are going to listen to you for sure. Like, you know, there's, there will there 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 always be an audience for you, like always. There's some, somebody that's going to buy your product, somebody that's going to listen to your show. And when I talk to people about podcasting, they never know how to start. They always worry, like, I, I can't do a podcast. I don't have the voice. I don't know how. So what can you say to those people? Like, what, can, what, what would be the best advice to start their own podcast? So you got me on my favorite topic now. So one of the things that your listeners might not realize is that I actually teach podcasting in the online space. So that is one of the main things that I do outside of my podcast is teach others how to launch their very own successful podcast. These are primarily entrepreneurs who want to learn how to launch a podcast, although I've had, you know, other, other podcasting students that aren't necessarily business owners, but it's something they want to do for their own passion project. Okay. So here's what I'm going to have to say. Hugo, you're absolutely correct in the fact that podcasting is open to everyone. It is accessible to everyone. It is an abundant world and there is an audience for everyone. But if you are lost about how to start, if you are concerned that you don't have the skills or you don't have the voice, trust that all of these things can be learned and they absolutely can work for you. And in fact, for your listeners, I do have a wonderful resource that, um, they can take advantage of. I actually have put together a free mini online course called Podcast Blast. And this is a five video training series and it comes accompanied by five worksheets. So five training videos, five worksheets, and it's designed to really give you a good overview of how to get started in podcasting. It's designed to show you the basics of what you need to know if you are looking at starting your own podcast. So what is all of the initial things you need to think about what's involved in starting your own podcast and then how to hit the ground running and get started. And you can get that if your listeners want access to that free mini online course, they can go to lisacapri.com slash podcast blast. And I'm sure Hugo will put that up in his show notes. That's lisacapri.com slash podcast blast. And that five hours of training is designed to get you started. And you will come out of that five days of training, understanding all the basics of what you need to do, how to get started. And it'll give you a sense of whether or not you think podcasting is for you as well. And everything from the creative to the technical to the equipment you might need, it's all covered in this mini online course. Okay, that's good. I'm going to put the links for that on the description for the people that want to use start their own podcast. And I, I can make sure, I'm pretty sure that Lisa is going to explain you to, to you how to start a podcast in a really good way. Because a lot of people, like I say, they, they, don't, they don't know how, but when there's somebody to guide them, then it's more easy. It, it is. Absolutely. And it's, it's a lot of of guided, you know, guided instruction, um, step-by-step tutorials. That's a lot of how I teach anything that I'm teaching, but particularly when I teach podcasting. And although this this is a free mini online course, those of uh, your listeners who decide to go through the free online course, if they want to pursue podcasting and learn more about it, I do also have other resources for them, like my full online podcasting course, which is called Unlock the Power of Podcasting. So they can get in touch with me if they want to work further or work with me and launching their podcast i'm always open to helping other entrepreneurs launch their own successful podcasts all right so before we go to the last question of the podcast we're saying when can people get in touch to you are you any platforms what platforms are you on i'm on a lot of them they can find me on facebook at lisa capri coaching um, but primarily where i think if they have an interest in podcasting where they should be following me is on LinkedIn at yeah, Lisa Capri, yeah. as well as on Instagram. And that's at raise your frequency daily. 
That is the Instagram account associated with the podcast. All right. And of course, my website, lisacapri.com. Perfect. I'm going to put all the links on the description. And just before, I have another question that just came in my mind. So do you do like video podcasting or only audio podcasting? Oh, I love this question question. I was hoping you were going to ask me. So I love video. I really, truly love video. I am not shy on camera. As you can imagine, I'm not a shy person. However, I made a conscious choice from the beginning of my podcasting journey to only produce the audio version. And there are two main reasons for that. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Yes, I want. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The first was that I really feel that if my audio content is strong enough, besides whether or not it's a solo episode or bringing on a guest, that the audio content should support itself. It should be valuable enough that somebody could be listening to it traditionally on the go without needing to look at a screen. So I wanted to preserve the accessibility of the podcast. And I didn't want my listeners to feel like they had to commit to watching a YouTube video or a live broadcast or a live stream on Facebook or Instagram. Although those things are good. I felt that I wanted to preserve the native aspect of podcasting, which is audio content and really promote audio as a tool. Yes. And the second reason is a, is a little bit selfish on my part. And, you know, I'm a woman and to be on camera, you got to do your hair and your makeup. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, no, I'm just kidding. That's not the real reason. The real reason is I'm a bit of an audio geek. And because I do a lot of voiceover work, um, I find it tough when I feel that my audio is not as, as, high qualities it can be. So I actually record, as you heard earlier, in a sound-treated vocal booth. And I built that booth out for the size of one because I only needed to fit one person in there. And I also didn't want to have any equipment or cameras in there. And again, this is me being really picky and being a huge geek. But the more equipment you have in your audio booth, the more um, sounds that that emits. And that does create a little bit of interference in your audio. And so I don't bring cell phones in there. I try to not bring any cameras in there just so that I can have the cleanest possible, highest possible audio quality that I can get based on the surroundings that I have and based on recording in that booth. So those are the considerations that I made and the reason why I chose not to have a visual version. But that doesn't mean that I don't create videos. I do. I I do do trainings on podcasting all the time and those are on video, of course. (laughs) How did you promote your, let's say, let's say somebody, um, start their own podcast they don't they don't have the equipments but they said they, they only do it with the laptops and they record it but how do you promote your podcast on social media because you can put the link and you can put a text but we oh, all yeah. know that a video on social media does well well more well than than any text so how do you promote your audio content on social so media? i promote a lot of ways. But in the context of video, I create uh, little teaser trailers for my podcast and those are video based. So those will be MP4 teaser trailers with images, with imagery. Um, They'll have, you know, sensational sound bites from from the actual interview. So much like a movie trailer, this would be a teaser trailer for the podcast episode. And I use those a lot as well. Like a one minute clip. Yep, absolutely. Um, Sometimes they will have a variety of images to really drive home um, very much like what a movie trailer would be like there might be some text on the screen there will of course be all captioned out because we know that people still love the silent scrolls so (laughs) there's certainly going to be captioned out and then of course I promote the podcast by doing live streams Um, I do live stream a lot and I say hey you know a new episode is released here's what you're going to hear here's how cool my guest is so I will do live streams of myself on camera talking about the latest episode and giving potential listeners an idea as to why they should go ahead and listen to that episode episode. I'll do social media posts and graphics and all of the fun things that we do as uh, online marketers. It's funny that you say that uh, you, you made the choice to really focus on the native content of podcasting, but you still have to do videos to promote it. So it's kind of ironic and contradictory that even if you want to focus on the audio, but if you want to get known, you still have to do so mini clips. You still have to do live videos. So uh, yeah. There's no yeah. way really to promote your audio just like that. You, you can do it like you just post the link, but it doesn't do that well on social media. So, No, certainly. And I think that that's my compromise 
compromise is I'm fine to appear on camera, but mm -hmm. from a technical standpoint, I really just wanted to make sure that when I was recording the podcast, it was the best possible audio that I could create. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the geek self of me and the geek part of me is happy because the audio is good. <laughs> and then compromising and, and, you know, the outgoing version of myself is happy because I get to do promo videos and I get to do mm -hmm. teasers and I get to come on live and talk about what I'm doing. And I get to do cool stuff like this with other podcasters like you. And yeah. I get invited to talk about podcasting at, at networking events and uh, entrepreneur events and things like that. So I get to do my in-person and camera appearances um, quite often. And so that keeps me satisfied too in terms of being in the media world so like we just say like what does what is what is that podcast i mean because there's a lot you know we talk about it it's trend it's trending right now in 2019 20 a lot of people call themselves a podcaster uh, everyone's taking on a podcast every day after five episodes they quit you know but uh, And some people do interviews, some people do solo podcasters. So what would be the definition of podcasting? Is, is it somebody that only does audio or somebody that does both video and audio or just like a guy that interviews? What is, right. what is the definition? Right. I love this question because it can be really confusing. And especially for generations that are a little bit younger than myself. Yeah. Historically, when we talk about podcasting, like, we said earlier, we're talking about audio content, but because our technology and our social media has evolved so much over the past couple of years, anyone can put out regular content and call it a podcast. This yeah. is true. But here's the key ingredient. If you know the story of how the word podcast came about, yeah. you might change your definition. So do you know the story of how the word podcast came about? Uh, it came from a uh... I think it was audio and I think it was like, I don't know, I said, I don't, I will let you tell it. <laughs> totally cool. So you have to think about back to the days when, you know, Apple as a company was yeah. creating this amazing yeah. device. And I'm saying amazing very sarcastically because nowadays we find it almost dinosaur, but it was the iPod. iPod. And the iPod became a mechanism where we could actually carry music in our pockets for the first time mm -hmm. and it became the first mechanism in which we could download up to at one point it was the, the catch line was a thousand songs in your pocket or something like that and so it became the first time that we could download digital media in such a small device and carry it with us and from that spewed a whole generation of people who were producing content via rss feeds on the internet and then you could subscribe to that feed and download it via their websites, via all of these very clunky podcast hosting platforms that existed back in the day. So natively and originally and historically, a podcast was audio content that you could take with you on the go. Yes. This was before smartphones. Okay. But now that we have smartphones, anyone can argue, well, my YouTube channel is, is on the go, which is true because we can stream from our phones. We could be in the bus. We could be walking the dog and we can, you know, hopefully you're not walking your dog and looking at your phone at the same time. That could be dangerous, but you know, so, so the definition of what a podcast is, has been skewed over the years just due to the fact that we now have the internet in our hands and most people have data plans on their phones and they don't have to be connected to Wi-Fi in order to stream content. Okay. So what I am going to say when it comes to what a podcast is, is this. It's like having your very own radio show, but distributed over the internet that's accessible, that's free, and that provides value to your intended audience. Okay. And to me, that is the best definition that I can find. But I am known for saying something else about podcasting, and, and somehow this, is, this has followed me over the past few years, is that podcasting as a medium, and if you're a podcaster, podcasting is like stepping onto the biggest possible stage there is in the world yes. with the largest possible audience that you can get in the world. Okay. And just from that, people need to understand that that is a huge wide open door as a marketing tool, because even if you have a giant budget and you do radio and you do TV commercials, yes. you are unfortunately to the mercy of who's watching and who's sitting in their car tuned to your radio station that day. Because once that 30-second commercial is gone, it's gone. gone. But a podcast episode lives forever. And the very big difference between a podcast episode as a marketing or a brand or a content delivery tool is that when people go to listen to a podcast, they're listening to it on their own time. 
It's yeah. not being thrown at them. It's not like when you're in the middle of a TV show and a commercial comes on. Somebody is strategically and purposely going out and listening to your content. That means they are committed yeah. to listening to you. And that is a very different vibe. Yes, they're, they're interested in your content and they, they, they're interested in your product. But just to, um, to finish the, the discussion, I believe that there's a lot of hosts they call themselves a podcaster, you know. I believe they, you can go on YouTube. And that's why I'm, sometimes I hear the word podcaster, but they don't, they don't have audio content, but they do have a YouTube show. But <laughs> yes. Are you a podcaster or you more me like Ken? No, no, I would say you're a vlogger. If you don't have audio content, you're a vlogger. Yes. And yes. if you want to have a successful podcast, you need to be in some of those major podcast directories like iTunes, Apple Yes. podcast google play spotify iHeartRadio, all of those big names that we know unless you have a podcast up in there i find it hard to call that person a podcast yeah, or a podcaster yeah what people some people use it just because it's trending so yeah then it happens with every stuff that came out a youtuber influencer podcaster like so i was, you know, was yes any trend but just now like we talk a lot about podcasting we talk a lot about marketing and you will say that uh, podcasting allows people to really go and look for something interesting so do you believe that audio, audio is the future of marketing like absolutely yeah. hands down and again it comes back to that fact of the of that people are consuming content yeah. on the go now more than ever in fact if we just look at u.s stats Currently now, the 2019 stats that have just come out, and we're not even finished 2019, over 51% of the U.S. population are podcast fans. Now, let's let that sink in for a second. This is just the U.S., over 51%. If you do the math on that, that is well over 124 million people in the U.S. alone listening to podcasts because it's accessible, because it's on-the-go content. It's generally free. And so... We're, we're now more than ever wanting to consume content on the go because we can, yeah. and that makes it the go-to medium. So for marketing messages, like I said earlier, with that intimacy, you cannot get any closer to your ideal client than physically tapping them on the shoulder than being directly in their ears every week or every month or however frequently you put out your podcast content, you are in their ears. That is the ultimate portal to your ideal client and customer. Yeah, so how, how would they do that? By sponsorship, by just doing like a three seconds ad, audio ad on your podcast? How does, how does a business uh, can promote a, uh, the, the, the stuff on, on a podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, if, first of all, if you're the business and you're the entrepreneur and you're doing your own podcast, yes. there's your advertising, <laughs> right? Yeah. But um, as an outside company looking to pool the audience of a marketer, then certainly there are tons of monetization models. And one of the simplest, oldest forms of direct monetization of a podcast and marketing is sponsorship. So whether that's sponsorship of one episode, sponsorship of a series of episodes, or just a uh, crowdfunding type of sponsorship where the fans, the listeners of the show, pay a monthly fee to help the podcaster produce their show. So that's in the whole crowdfunding uh, scenario as well. That's another way to do it, where Mm -hmm. it's your fans that support your show, like Patreon and and crowdfunding and all of those or GoFundMe type things. Yes. So would you say like, let's say somebody does a sponsorship on the podcast, would you say that people will, will, uh, will allow that? Because we all talk about, we don't like to see ads. We, uh, yep. we skip ads. But if you have like an audio ad on the podcast, is that good? Is that good for the podcaster for the so, show? Here's where you really need to know your audience, Hugo. If you know that your audience is okay with that, you have to really know your audience really well. If it's going to turn off your audience, then doing the traditional version is not a good idea. You can do private investing. You can do crowdfunding. But you can also, and there's a big trend with a lot of the big names in podcasting, where they do their commercials in a conversational tone. So yeah. they, so they, the, the podcast host will only take on a sponsorship if they know and use the product themselves. Okay. So they may say something very similar as like, Hey, it's Lisa Capri from raise your frequency podcast. I just want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by so-and-so. Yeah. And you know, I use this product over the last six months and I've noticed X, Y, Z thing. And so they turn it into a bit of audio talk where they're just having a conversation with their listeners, just like you would if you were talking to a friend and you were recommending a movie or a restaurant or a good yeah. book. 
Okay. And so it comes off as a recommendation. It's not a cheesy commercial with music and, you know, yeah. jingles and things like that. And that's been the trend there. If you are overtly having sponsors on your show, you yeah. have to decide what format is going to be the most receptive in terms of your audience. And, you um, to, and certainly that's, that's different for everyone. You have to test and try. You have to test and try and talk with your audience. Okay, that's good. Absolutely. That's good. Because um, me, for example, I'm just saying my example, I do have like ads on my podcast. So I have like a accounting company because I do have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to that. Well, and, I, and I'm very open with my sponsors. We talk a lot on the phone. We say, okay, how does it go? Do you get any clients? And for the most part, they say no, but because it's new. But it, maybe I have to change the way I'm doing stuff. It's always a test and try. It always a test and try stuff, yeah. For sure. And I think one of the things that I said that's trending is when the podcast host can actually relate a story of using the product or service mm -hmm. because they're listening to your show because they know, like, and trust you. That yeah. doesn't make them automatically know, like, and trust your sponsor. Yeah. However, if Hugo says, hey, I, you know, buy this brand of jeans and I love it because I've washed them a thousand times and they still look great. Well, if they trust you and they trust your opinion, they may be more likely to trust your sponsor, whatever their product or service is. All right. That's good advice. So Lisa, I just want to say uh, thank you for being here on the show. And what can you say to all the people that are listening right now about um, just making the jump on podcasting? What, was, what, what can you say to them before we finish the podcast? I'm going to say that the power of podcasting yeah. is as simple as you opening up your laptop or your computer, <laughs> yeah. pressing record, and using your own given voice and yeah. your own content and knowledge and putting that onto the world because there are people who need what you have. Yes. And it may seem like no one's listening at the beginning and like anything else, this takes time. But like that old saying goes, you don't have to be great. Mm -hmm. to start but you have to start to be great yes that's right that's a good way to finish appreciate your time and i appreciate all the people that listen to the podcast and uh, we will see each other well, we will uh, see each other and listen uh, on the next show in the next episode so thank you very much lisa i appreciate your time and thank you to all of you my absolute pleasure thank you for having me bye 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 <laughs>